Hello and welcome to Talking Adif, episode 38. If we always require the entry point for an additive manufacturing use case to be a highly educated designer plus having the experience in additive manufacturing, then I think the technology is more or less predefined to be a niche technology. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 38th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays. Our guest today is Ola von Seelen, Head of Business Development, Marketing, and Sales for Trinkle. So first of all, thank you very much for joining Talking Additive today. Uh, really great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So my name is Ole von Seelen. I am Head of Business Development, Marketing, and Sales at Trinkle. Trinkle is a Berlin-based software company that was founded by three PhD students from Berlin's universities back in 2013. And we are specialized on the automation of 3D printing design processes. So let's start by sort of establishing you and your background to give some context for the stories that you'll tell us here. A question that I ask every guest, when did you first encounter 3D printing? I did my PhD in uh, B2B marketing, um, mostly with within the sector of machining companies in, I think it was 2014. And back then, Florian, a friend of mine and co-founder of Trinkle, uh, told me about 3D printing and the company he was founding at the time. And I found it really interesting because I really only knew the old world of production back then, where everything was about fighting, you know, tiny market shares. And when I then took a look at additive manufacturing, everything was developing so fast and the technology changes overnight new materials came up every day basically and or every week maybe so it was a very different world and i was really fascinated by the speed the progress and also by the idea of combining you know startup cloud-based software and 3d printing all at once and how did this map to your training your interests your previous jobs yeah, so actually it was kind of a jump because I was used to do my PhD, so a more theoretical, uh, being a more quantitative person, uh, a lot of research in this area. And then I was really very quickly cured by the world of being part of an AM startup. So startup and AM both at the time. So uh, everything was very fast and pragmatic, had to be done quick and move forward fast. Fail fast, actually, as well. So did you adapt to this? Did you enjoy the crazy high speeds and kind of new paradigms of startup plus additive? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was kind of scary for me as a, a character, but um, I really liked the challenge. And what was most fascinating for me in this new role still is for being head of business development at Trinkle is that we always have the chance to develop 
fully new business models for our clients. So it's very rare that we see use cases over and over again. It's always something different from very different industries. So uh, this is, I think, the, the fact I most appreciate about my job right now. And I think some of this is even distinctive to the particular niche within additive that you're filling. Uh, but let's talk about introducing Trinkle first. How would you define Trinkle in its goals in the early days? What kinds of problems were you looking to solve? Yeah, there was, there still is one central problem, which is fundamental to understand why Trinkle and its software is needed or can bring the industry forward. And that is a comparison of the conventional manufacturing and additive manufacturing. So if you take a look at conventional manufacturing and you think of the design process involved, designing a part or a product is a really complex task. And that's why you have smart designers and you have very advanced CAD software. So for the conventional manufacturing, it's fully okay to spend a lot of time and money on one design because at a later stage, it will be produced in very high volumes. We are talking about thousands, millions of parts being produced from this single design you made in the very beginning. But now that we've shifted to AM, we always claim to realize individual parts, so small volumes or even fully customized parts. So if you then think again and imagine we would spend hours or days for each individual design, then we pretty sure will kill the business cases behind those applications. So there needs to be a shift in the way we approach designing when we talk about additive manufacturing applications. So basically there are two routes for us that we see to overcome hurdles. And the one route would be that we try to accelerate the speed that designers can use while designing parts. So we try to automate especially the repetitive design processes that they face. So we are improving their efficiency. So designers of today make more efficiently their designs for additive manufacturing. Or the other route would be even enabling new people that do not have design skills today and they do not have experience in 3D printing so far, but we still might be able to enable them to design or at least adapt parts for their individual needs. And these two routes, that is what we try to address with our software, which we call Paramate. And it can be thought of as a software system for design automation. And it can have those two different aspects um, of design automation. That's really a helpful description, not only of Trinkle, but of some of the opportunities of additive manufacturing. So when Trinkle was starting in 2014, how well did companies understand the possibilities to even address things in the nimble way that you help them do now? Yeah, to be honest, most companies, not at all back then. When I remember these first years in the industry, for most companies, it was mainly of understanding how the, the technology works, how the hardware works, how the material works. Of course, there were already specialists back then. The technology is far older, of course, but it was not a broadly spread knowledge about the technology and the chances it has. So back then, we started the company, but there was really 
no need discovered yet for most of the companies. So most companies were fully fine by having two, three specialists. They were doing the prototyping. They were doing the first designs. And everybody was happy and fascinated what these cool new machines could do. And nobody really cared about how to scale such a business case in a later stage. That makes sense from what we've been learning from uh, the companies we've been working with as well. I remember conversations I would have with industrial customers in 2012, 2013, 2014. I would suggest you can use this to speed up processes and get more people involved with design. And they would say, well, you know, I've got a guy that does it and uh, he's really fast. He just goes to our our metal machine shop and just makes the part really quickly. So why do I need 3D printing? And my response at the time was, do you really need a full metal shop and somebody capable of doing that to facilitate all of your parts? And they're like, well, that's just the way it's done and everything has to be in metal. And then now flash forward to today and it seems that there's a huge array of tools, but also the element that I really wanna bring up now how has Trinkle been able to help with enlarging the stakeholders, the number of stakeholders who can be involved with part design, part validation, and use? Yeah, that would be one root of the two roots I tried to address before. So on the one hand, we are trying to help the designers to be faster, but we also, like you said, we want to open the technology for broader audience or maybe not even audience, but users. So if we always require the entry point for an additive manufacturing use case to be a highly educated designer, plus having the experience in additive manufacturing, then I think the technology is more or less predefined to be a niche technology. So the idea would be to open up those use cases where the integration of the end user might be beneficial. And we need to include them in the design process. We need to get them into interaction with our design processes. And only if we can do that, we can realize all those nice mass customization use cases, which we described years ago and created all these nice PowerPoint slides for and so on. <laughs> oh, I feel that, uh, that struggle. <laughs> Uh, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, so time has caught up with what you already identified quite early on. And now you can regularly see even traditional manufacturing being really curious about this. Can we talk a little bit now about how Trinkle addresses this? And one of the unique things that you mentioned early on is that you have the opportunity, unlike almost any other moment in the kind of ramp up to industrialization, you get to look at each process in a very unique way. And so you might use a different different mix of your tools there in terms of your expertise in understanding the processes and design for manufacturing uh, techniques really appropriate to certain solutions, uh, and also understanding the needed part or process that they're doing and uh, being able to offer solutions. So how can you guide us through what Trinkle can do to address these kinds of things. Yeah, so if I try to put it in a nutshell, we try to create algorithm-driven design workflows per application, per application. The software we're developing 
you shouldn't imagine it as the one software that you download to your PC and uh, you get a license and you can do whatever with it for your future AM projects. It's more as an application-based software. And you could imagine it as a platform. It's modular. It's meant for being used in the cloud. So it's all dedicated to high-performance cloud usage. And it's trying to clear the path from repetitive design efforts for the manual user. So what we do with this software platform, we take a certain application from a client and then we try to combine, on the one hand, algorithm-driven CAD, um, so algorithm-driven operations, with intuitive and hopefully interactive configuration interfaces. So at the end, there will be a user interface and it does not necessarily have to be part of the software. It can be a website, it can be part of your intranet page if it's an internal application, it could be a mobile app, anything really. And this interaction of algorithms and intuitive interaction by the end user, this is the key and I think the unique characteristics that we have in our system. Our company was basically born in additive manufacturing, so right now our our focus is still on AM technologies. But when it comes to the question what technologies and what materials, there are no really limitations for this. So all 3D printing technologies are supported. We can apply automated workflows in there. That doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what kind of 3D printing technology you choose. And it also matters a lot what material you use uh, or you want to use for 3D printing at the end. It just means that we need to incorporate these decisions about the technologies and the materials you, you plan to use within those rules and constraints that you set up in the very beginning. So it makes, of course, a world of a difference if we are talking about SLS or FFF. So it will just have other implication on the design rules, which we then implement into the workflow. Coming back to the industries we serve, in the very beginning, we were really eager. Uh, so maybe it was our, our youth back then, but we tried to attack every industry that was going into additive. So we did applications in, in automotive, in robotics, uh, in engineering a lot. And in the very beginning, we focused a lot on customized consumer products. But what we lately focus on are basically two very important fields of the additive industry, which is on the one hand medical applications, so especially orthopedics, and on the other hand, and this is not really an industry, but you know what I mean, jigs, fixtures, and production aids. Um, this field supporting the production industry with additive manufactured applications is, from our perspective, the most interesting fields of these years. Ultimaker has had a sort of similar trajectory, though obviously it took until just the last couple of years for materials to catch up to really open up even more of the general field of applications that are possible. And now, you know, we tend to focus a little bit more as well. When it comes to the industrial sector itself or industrial parts, and uh, we, we often refer to them as either manufacturing aids or indirect parts. And it kind of depends on which sector of the industry we're talking to. There has been, particularly of late, 
more acceptance of the kind of output from all additive manufacturing processes. With industry, where the the goal often is more on the pragmatics of, uh, I need a part that can really meet its engineering needs. I really want to dwell on this distinction that you offer. You talk about application-specific solutions. It's not part-specific. It's application-specific. And that's really interesting because I think in a certain sense, a lot of companies, when they're first adopting additive, they spend a lot of time and energy solving each part. And in some cases, just starting back to zero. And when you say application specific, you're not saying that. You actually have with the whole apparatus you mentioned there of the ways to continue to configure uh, that are built into the effort that you put into providing the tools that will be used, uh, the ability to accommodate other things that, that match that application. Can you talk more about how that works and how Trinkle is able to address this, which is kind of a unique design challenge? Yeah, so you mentioned configuration. Yeah, and this is very important. Actually, what we call our applications is mostly configurators. It's a little bit mixed up vocabulary, I know, because you see a lot of configurators already in the web, and most of the time it's about changing color or uh, changing the material. But we are really talking about configuration of designs from a geometrical point of view. So you're completely right. We are not optimizing one particular part. We are talking about configurating families of parts or groups of parts. So whenever we come across an application where 3D printing is used to create variations of a geometry. So for example, you want to create a pair of glasses. You want to create an eyewear frame. And you want to do that custom for your end customer in the way that this pair of glasses matches the geometry of the face, for example. Then you need to have an individual geometry for each customer. It might be adapted to the scan of a face, for example. So what we try then is we try to set up a workflow for this particular product to be configured, driven by maybe a scan or maybe some input, aesthetical input may be defined um, by the end customer itself. So it's not the task to create the one super nice design for a 3D printed eyewear. It's about creating a workflow uh, for a scalable application for individual eyewear using additive manufacturing. So I want to talk about the realities of looking at traditional manufacturing processes versus this new route that you offer. In a traditional manufacturing process, and this is definitely <laughs> simplified, you have clear scope and parameters set up for what you're producing so that you can meet that need. You design the part, then you validate that your design was correct. And you might even have, you know, depending on the industry, a, you know, compliance office, or you might have analysis to assess, you know, how successful your solution was to prepare the way for manufacturing. You know, can it stay within tolerances? So all this laborious process, just to commit to a moment where you have a fixed pattern and now you're ready to run it at a large scale. Now, now maybe part of the secret is that already your process can accommodate you know, more quantities than 10,000 and up. Do you want to talk about how you're able to draw on all these different sort of departments 
of design and design for manufacturing consideration. Yeah, so the topic you tackle now is probably one of the biggest hurdles those serial production applications have in 3D printing. Because you're completely right, in conventional manufacturing, there's this one moment, this one version of the design which get then cleared and is ready for production. If we have a family of parts or a family of a product and it could have unlimited numbers of combinations, there is not this one design which we can give to approval and then everything is finalized. So we have to handle a lot of rules and constraints. And when we clear something with our clients, um, let's say their quality department, for instance, then we have to clear a full range. We have to get a generic green light from those departments. And that makes it so complicated because most companies don't think that way or never thought that way. So they have really to get more familiar and more and more accommodated with this vision and with the technology in total. This is also why you see so little applications in terms of end consumer parts on the market. For end consumer company to offer individualized parts, it's not so much about, oh yeah, there's the hurdles about surface quality or the material characteristics of a part. What is most scary for those companies is that it's completely off their regular processes and rules and quality assurance they have in their companies applied. This is what makes it so hard for them. And that's why we see way more applications so far in the industrial sector where those hurdles are simply a little lower. I mean, they are still high, but it's easier to overcome and it's more directed to the added values of a specialized part. They outweigh the, the fear you might have of an unfamiliar process. It would seem that this would open up the possibility also for more people to be involved with the fabrication process from the standpoint of you clear this class of products, this family of parts that could be made, and then more people could potentially make adjustments. Do you want to talk about how this changes things? Having it so that if you want to make an adjustment that can be fulfilled by the configurator, you don't necessarily have to go back to design and start from scratch to make a minor adjustment. For example, you know, making a new gauge when you have a different product coming through. Yeah, the whole idea is that this is actually possible. So there is a new requirement in your application. You just take a new iteration of the configurator. And as long as you move within the, let's say, the constraints and the, the limits of this configurator, whatever comes out, it is functional and it's producible. That's the whole idea. So by definition, when we set up such a design workflow, we have to understand the design in the full range. We need to define with our clients exactly what combinations can be achieved within the configurator, what independencies might be popping up between the different variables used. And so at the end of the day, it's a whole net of connections and restrictions and dependencies from variable to variable. And this is why there is simply no other way of dealing with it other than scripting those designs. 
And um, this is the core, really, of our application that in the center there is a kernel which is fully optimized for script-based designing. Uh, we developed that because we didn't find a proper solution on the market back then. Uh, so we decided to develop this ourselves. And the whole idea of this kernel is to simplify design scripting and to make it more performant because at the end of the day, whatever design we want to achieve is supposed to be calculated in almost no time. I don't say no time, but almost no time. Um, at the end of the day, we want to see applications that can run in the cloud and where a user gives a new input and sees the result immediately, basically. So what case study would you like to start with today? We have a very interesting use case in the field of robotics. So there is a company in Germany which is called Schmalz. Um, it's the market leader for vacuum robotic components. So basically the grippers you put at the end of ARM tool of a robotic system. So this company, for instance, was prototyping with additive manufacturing for, for ages, for years. Uh, it makes a lot of sense because in robotics, you have a lot of individual parts and individual geometries. You want to try out things fast and iterate fast. And it's quite often about lightweight components. So uh, that's the reason why you would uh, 3D print those items for, for those robotic components. And after a couple of years of getting more and more familiar with the production methods, uh, they were thinking about, okay, how do we get this into a use case now or a business case for us? And they thought, of course, of lightweight grippers. And they thought, of course, of, let's say, individualized lightweight grippers. So for very special applications. So not the typical, you have to move a box around from A to B, but maybe you have to move certain packages from A to B, which look quite unfamiliar to the regular use cases. So for those, they would try to design custom gripper geometries, but it would take them sometimes a day, sometimes two, to do those design drafts. And then the big hustles just started because they would have to discuss those designs with their customers. It would take ages before they even have a first quote out there, and it could be weeks and weeks before they actually get the deal for uh, such an individualized gripper. So that's when we got in touch with them and discussed our application. And what you see now on their website is that you can go there, you upload the part that you actually want to move around or want to lift, and then you start a configuration for it. So you describe how much does it weigh, what kind of material surface are we talking about. And then the system will play back, okay, for that weight, you need at least six suction cups to create the correct vacuum to lift it up. And after that, you will be asked, okay, please place those suction cups on the part. So what you literally do is you open up the application and you click on the right spots on this particular part, which you uploaded in the first place, and the rest will be done by the system. So it will connect all those suction cups with the overall vacuum chamber, which is centralized on top of it. So it's free floating somewhere on top of the part. And all those suction cups will be connected with vacuum channels, 
which are optimized for this situation. And the only thing you still have to do, you have to pick the right components. So which is the right vacuum technology you want to use, which is the right robotic system you want to connect. And the system will add all those little components, which are actually not even 3D printed anymore. Um, so you combine the 3D printing overall geometry of the gripper, but you also include um, a metal standard flange to connect to a robotic system. Or for example, those suction cups themselves, they are made from plastic and they are injection molded. There is no way and no meaning for producing them additively. So at the end of this process, you will have a fully assembled gripper that consists of maybe 20 components and you will get a bill of material. So it will list all the components and then you have a button where you basically say, okay, now I would like to see a quote from Schmaltz and they will take a look at it. They will take it back, make a proper proposal, but they already have all the components which they have to assemble in the last step. So at the end of the day, it's really an e-commerce business case for an industrial company, for a high complex product. Well, it's definitely different than you usually expect when it comes to custom industrial solutions. In checking the case study on your site, there's a note that it speeds up engineering by 90%. That's amazing. You have mentioned a lot of those stages, but can you tell the story of what it's replacing? Yeah. So, I mean, I told you that a designer, an experienced designer, industrial designer would need at least eight hours to do such a design. Of course, we have to do this work in advance. So we have to predefine all those rules and restrictions that might be included. And we need to think of algorithms that are smart enough to combine all potential input situations to a meaningful outcome. So we have spent a lot of time in setting this up. But then if this is once in place, all the decision for the users can be done in minutes. So basically, you can create such a robotic system, such a gripper in, in 10 or 15 minutes or so. Uh, probably the longest it will take is really doing a nice choice which kind of material of the suction cups you want. Um, but all the geometry creation, which is the really effortful part for a designer, uh, which has a lot to do with freeform geometries, connecting one point with another uh, in space and creating a good connection geometry between this. This is a lot of effort for a manual designer, but not for an algorithm if you have created a script for it. What is the next case that you wanted to share? Yes. So it's from the automotive industry. But maybe before I start on this particular case, I want to point out that all those jigs and fixture cases, from my perception, are really so interesting because they are the low-hanging fruits for additive manufacturing. Most of those components and tools are really simple. It's really not the most sexy geometry you could imagine, which you would display at a fair or so on. So in this particular case, we're talking about assembly fixtures. And our customer in this use case was Audi Sport. So a part of Audi that are producing the sports cars like the R8. So we are talking about serial production, but in a lower volume. In those production sites, you would still have a lot of manual labor steps. So you need a lot of those very simple tools, 
not spectacular, but they make your life easier as a, as a worker on the shop floor. And an application which those guys saw over and over again were simple assembly fixtures. The only purpose of such a fixture is holding a part in place while you do something with it. It could be assembling to another one, uh, gluing or mounting, or it just may be holding it in place while you want to post-process something. So the idea of such a fixture is basically that you have it in place and it's either fully sinking in into some kind of a shadow board or it's holded by some kind of pillar structure. And those colleagues at Audi back then, they explained to us, well, we can design all those parts. It's not such a big deal. Like every designer for additive manufacturing could do it easily, but it just piles up on their desk. Like their colleagues come over and say, okay, you have these great FFF printers. So could you easily do this and that for me? You, you did it for my colleague last week. So can you do it again? And of course, they want to satisfy all their internal clients on the shop floors. Uh, they're quite happy because it took so many years until 3D printing usage lifted off. And now they come into the next problem that they simply don't have the capacity to do all this. So again, there are those two routes, either making their job way faster or getting other not trained users on board to create those fixtures themselves. And uh, this is what we did in this project. So we set up an application where you would simply upload the part which you want to hold in place. You would orientate it in the way you like it. And then you would define where should be those touch areas and how strong should they be and how far should the part sink in. And maybe you want to adapt it with a clamp. So of course, not a 3D printed one, why would you? you would integrate a conventionally manufactured lamp, but you would like to predefine the mounting geometry so that at the later stage, when you assemble the whole fixture, you just take it from the standard components from a box and you mount it on the predefined area for it and it will fit perfectly um, the situation you wanted to create. So in such an application, you will end up with a very, very individual situation of a jig in maybe five minutes or so. And at the end, how much time would that save? Maybe uh, you came from two hours per part. And if you have to do that for a whole production facility, it will add up. So uh, now they even start doing this for other facilities and they still have the capacity to do so. So with such a tool, we can help the 3D printing departments within manufacturing company to really leverage the potential of this technology. And this is also coming back to an earlier question of yours. You asked, how long did it take until our software really found their application? It took as long as companies needed to get familiar with the 3D printing technology to come into the situation that you run out of design capacity. This propels us rapidly into the last part of our discussion. Now, do you think over time that there will be the expansion beyond the lowest hanging fruit into these other areas of end-use parts where you'll be able to leverage your knowledge of additive manufacturing to solve more types of problems and uh, really compete aggressively against even other fabrication methods? 
Yes, I believe that there will be way more end-use parts applications also for additive manufacturing, but only in those aspects where we see a strong added value to justify all the hurdles we have to overcome for this. I mean, look at the automotive industry, for example. They took ages for generating all the modularity and working with standards. And if we now say, okay, forget all about this, let's do individual parts again for each and every client, um, this means quite of a change in their perception of how a company in this field should look at it. But yeah, we have seen more and more of these applications in the last years. And what I really like about this is that it's not about what can be 3D printed. We just print just for the sake of doing it. It's more about finding those niche applications where there is really an added value. And there are enough of them to start with. And the hurdles to overcome, they will getting lower and lower. So with the progress of the technology, the material, and also the ecosystem of software, all these hurdles will be getting lower and lower and then more and more applications get meaningful and worth trying. I like that vision of the future. I think it's both pragmatic and uh, really instructive about how this technology works. With that, I think we should wrap up our discussion. So thank you very much again for joining Talking Additive today. Uh, this is really insightful. It was my pleasure. Thank you again to Ola von Seelen, Head of Business Development, Marketing and Sales, Trinkle. We hope that you have enjoyed our 38th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. Talking Additive launches new episodes each Tuesday. Next week, join us to meet Dr. Jeffrey Cernahaus, Executive Advisor of Infinite and COO of Interfacial, a Nagasi company. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at talkingadditive.com. Thank you again to Ola and the Trinkle team. Our episode editor is Paul Pontius of PGP Sound. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Takini, studio manager David Roberson, music and sound mix by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.